0: Hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the latest Empire Podcast interview special. It's not February 2nd, it's June 8th as I record this, but it is very much Groundhog Day folks. 30 years ago, Harold Ramis and Bill Murray came together to make Groundhog Day, a film about a phenol and selfish weatherman who relives the same day over and over again before eventually emerging a better person on the other side. A hit at the time, it has since become a stone-cold classic over the years, with people flocking back to it for its timeless vibes, big warm heart, easy humour, and for the many, many ways of interpreting Phil Connors' spell in Time Prison in any number of interesting and creative ways. The concept and the initial screenplay was the brainchild of Danny Rubin, who documents the process brilliantly in his must-read book on screenwriting, How to Write Groundhog Day. He's been following his own advice since because in 2016 he wrote the book for a musical adaptation of Groundhog Day that debuted at the Old Vic in London. Perhaps something about being able to change and perfect a work of art over time appealed to him. That show was directed by Matthew Warchus with music and lyrics from Tim Minchin, the creative team behind the smash hit musical version of Matilda. And if you've listened to the Empire podcast over the last five years or so, chances are you'll have heard me wax lyrical about Groundhog Day the musical because it was fantastic, playful and profound, with incredibly inventive staging and wonderful songs that shone the spotlight on characters other than Phil Connors, although he was brought to life brilliantly by American actor Andy Carl in a performance that nabbed him an Olivier Award and incredibly banished all memories of Bill Murray. Why am I telling you all this? Well, because now Groundhog Day the musical is back, back, back for its long-promised revival, playing for the next few months at the Old Vic in London. And I strongly urge you to try and get a ticket if you can. But don't worry if you can't, because as you're about to hear, there are plans for a tour, a potential London residency, and much, much more. That's because, as a big fan of the musical, and the movie of course, when I heard it was being revived, I jumped at the chance to do a podcast about it. Which is how, last week, I found myself in Matthew Wartess' office at the Old Vic talking to him, Tim Minchin, and Danny Rubin for almost an hour. Talking about everything from the project's genesis, to the challenges of doing it all again with Andy Carl once more, from Groundhog Day's eternal themes, and to the creation of individual songs that I adore. The trio also spoke very candidly about the show's failure on Broadway in 2017, where, despite glowing reviews and seven Tony nominations, it closed after just a few months. Another reason why this revival feels so important in a way, this creative team is getting another shot and a chance to not end the story of Groundhog Day the musical on a bum note. How thematically apt. So a couple of quick things before we begin. This conversation is primarily about Groundhog Day, the musical, but we do touch on the film from time to time, of course. So this interview may be a bit niche if you haven't seen the musical, but I would still recommend that you listen because it is a funny, insightful and fascinating conversation about creativity with three guys who are among the best in the business at doing so. And if you do know and love the musical as I do, then this is right up your alley. Oh, and I was recording myself on my phone, all the microphones were in use by the three guys, so there are a couple of moments here where I've re-recorded a line because of poor sound quality. It was also a warm day, so the window was open, and now and again sounds from outside would leak through. Hopefully nothing too bad. So without any further ado, here's Danny Rubin, Tim Minchin, and Matthew Warchus at the Old Vic. Enjoy. We are delighted to be joined on this very special Groundhog Day podcast by Danny Rubin, Tim mentioned and Matthew Warchus. Uh, we're, Matthew, are we in your... My office at the Old Vic. The office yes. at the Old Vic. That's amazing. Yeah. It's uh, it's pretty nice. It's pretty nice. Thank it's, you. It, it beats mine by some considerable <laughs> distance. Uh, how does it feel, guys, to be back? Uh, I guess this is the Groundhog Day vacation of, of this musical. You get a second bite at the cherry. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, two seems like a good start.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, who knows? This might be day ten thousand. We probably. Yeah, know. that's right. <laughs> it's exciting. It's um,
2: you know, it's one of those things we can genuinely say it's backed by popular demand because we were turning people away the first time it played at the Old Vic, and um, it's something that we really wanted to find a way to bring back and set it up in a way that it was a, a production that could play other places as well the original production of this was built on five revolving uh, automated, fl- auto- automated turntables which was untourable and uh, and very time consuming and so part of the project for me was to bring back everything we loved about the show but to stage it in a way which didn't require um, turntables
0: has it's one come of those
2: um, sad things from a directing point of view that having spent 300 hours programming, revolves last time it turns and out they're, com- <laughs> they're completely <laughs> unnecessary <laughs>
0: <laughs> how do yeah. you tackle it this time just get the the actors to revolve like like a star yeah, trek
2: it's interesting it's, it, it's it's we're just taking a slightly different approach to to the staging i say interesting it's of no interest to anybody other than me but um you know somebody once said that oh we, to me you're doing a musical of um, groundhog day you'll just isn't that just the same song over and over again and, of course, when you actually start uh, looking at the story, it's not actually about repeats, it's about the differences every time. And this the idea that we would revolve and come around to the same place, that's not at all um, what's required. It's a, it's a process and a progress through a story.
3: Mm-hmm. And uh, this and, is how you're going to feel at the end of your career. You're going to retire at 70 and go, oh, theatre, that's actually not necessary. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: you should spend it on hospitals. <laughs>
0: And Tim, from your point of view, second time around, did you make many tweaks to the songs?
3: It was a really good opportunity to do to just fiddle with some things that had annoyed me a bit, to uh, to just adjust the orchestrations a bit. I and mean, partly because six years is a long time, so just your aesthetic changes a bit or something. And um, I think I don't know. It's, for me, it's the same aim. As everyone here, we wanted the show to be a tiny bit lighter on its feet. We we built it for Broadway because they, that's where all the investors, you know that 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 was that was the intention from day one um, to take it to Broadway. And when you take something to Broadway, you sort of have to pimp the hell out of it because that's what they expect all the yeah. bells and whistles and we razzle dazzle. This is actually more, you know, to Matthew's point. If anything, this production, which is. A slightly smaller cast and a slightly smaller pit, and slightly more push pull, as we say. You know, the scenery is sort of moved by the actors instead of by robots. It it actually supports the themes of the show. This sort of idea that to live a meaningful life, you have to be part of something and, you have to be and present, contribute yeah. to collectivity or collectiveness or something. So it it feels really really right. That said, I haven't seen it yet. I left a month ago uh, the day of the first run-through with this cast. Um, I wasn't here for Sitz Probe when the, when the band comes in and I haven't seen all Matthew's new staging. Um, We've and-
2: automated most of it now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh,
2: so,
3: so I'm seeing it tonight. So uh, I'm very excited actually. I'm a little bit scared. What happens? What happens if you don't like it, Tim? What happens? I, I guess do do? I, I've actually gone through that in my head. I was like, what if I just hate it? Like, what if I just, and I thought I'd just cry and go home. And I, <laughs> no, I'm really, really excited. I do. The, the other thing about this musical is that when, when you make stuff, you, I, I've always, and I think Matthew's the same, uh, Danny's profoundly the same, um, perhaps more than both of us. You make stuff that you're interested in it's very easy in this industry to, to sort of try and second-guess your audience and try and find a hole in the market and, like, I'm going to make some work a bit like that last six, like I'm going to go write a TV show that's a bit like Succession because obviously people like that stuff, whatever, that reactive market-driven art and no one here is very, I don't think we're very good at that. Mm. The, the upside of that is whatever happens to a piece of work, if you love what you made, it's quite gratifying and I love this musical. I think it's cool. Cool as fuck.
0: It is absolutely cool as fuck. And uh, uh, Danny, this is, I I, I don't know how many bites of the cherry you've had now with Groundhog Day Uh, from from film to book
1: you don't bite apples here Cherries <laughs> are so small <laughs> your
0: cherries might be whatever you want to buy, you, you can buy it as many times as you want thank you yeah ha, have you again tweaked and finessed anything from from the, the previous staging or is just, this
1: just to accommodate the the minor downsizing we did with the restaging i'm i think tim will be delighted to see that the show feels the same and uh I think that's mostly to Matthew's credit from casting to just rethinking it um that it feels like the same show and yet even stronger because just with minor rephrasing able to to really reveal things that were already in the lyrics and were already in the dialogue so um you know I'm just psyched to be here and also, uh, ever since it closed on Broadway, my mother has been waiting for it to reopen, and I think she's holding on to that like in the story, "The Last Leaf." So I keep saying, "Yeah, next year it'll go up, Mom." Anyway, so this could be the end for you, her do be a mother. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. We waited about as long as we could
2: and so how old is she Danny? 90 yeah. and she's coming, she's she'll be here in. on Friday, yeah, it's God wonderful. willing
1: it's
0: wonderful, <laughs> absolutely wonderful <laughs> oh, that's amazing, um, you've you mentioned uh, Broadway there a couple of times and you know, w- when I saw the show The, uh, the Old Fake when it first opened I loved it, I just fell head over heels for it, uh, I was evangelical about it as people who listen to this podcast regularly will know, uh, because even on a film podcast I talk about how great Groundhog Day the musical is, uh, constantly uh, but Broadway obviously must have been a huge disappointment for you all
1: What? not at all
0: No, I loved it, I I
1: just had the best time, if they were providing the entire thing just for my entertainment (laughs) they did a great job (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and and when it closed after five months I was like oh five months that's pretty good, I was on Broadway I I guess yeah I saw some amazing people do some great work and I really enjoyed it with some big audiences it was a. I saw how disappointed everyone else was, but uh I kind of felt like I'd had a great adventure. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, do you Danny, think Danny's a better person than us. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's considerably more Buddhist. I mean, on a scale of not at all Buddhist to very Buddhist, we're all closer to the first bit, but Danny's definitely further up than us.
2: I I think he also what is true is that we had almost unbeatable reviews. So it depends on what you're sort of investing in. So you, you know, on one level, you're investing in just a personal creative experience, and uh, and expressing that side of yourself. And we all managed Tick. to do that. Yeah. And we got it. Yeah. And I think we were all proud of uh, that version as we are this version of the of the show. On the other side, there is a critical reception which you try not to invest in too much because if you're relatively thin-skinned like I am, it can you can get hurt by investing in it. However. We didn't get her, we got really rapturous reception on Broadway critically mm. speaking. Um, and then there's you know the audience and there's two things about connecting with an audience. One is that you just see people receiving a story and benefiting from it or loving it as much as you do or being affected by it emotionally anyway. and um, and, and that happened as well. We got great audiences and they went through the emotional ride that we intended and that we aspired to. Um, so really, it comes down to the business side of it, which is mm-hmm. which didn't work, and we didn't get enough audiences for a long enough time because of various, uh, you know, you can just con- conjecture about that season being overcrowded with musicals, and many shows died off quickly, and so on th- that side of things, it, it was a, it was a business failure. But you set that against um, the success, even triumph, on other sides that we experienced, and it was a definitely a mixed a mixed feeling in the end.
3: Um, that, and I, I'm built like Matthew. I, I want everyone to love it, and I want it to be known that it's loved. And one of the hard things is that Broadway, like Hollywood, is reductive. And you know, even the phrase a hit, it's very American because it implies a miss. Um yeah. And what they mean by a hit is it made everyone money, and but which uh, but if that implies a miss is it didn't make everyone money then you know you're just on a completely different scale of of what is valuable that said we are we are in that business we're not making you know if all we cared about is the art i guess we could make a little amateur production and put it on and be proud of it and move on we we have chosen in our different ways to swim in those sort of um scary waters where where stuff does sink and people do get hurt and people gamble and and it's kind of uh, brutal because it's big business and business is brutal and so you want to win um, because it feels sad to to not but um, I as I said earlier I think what's fantastic is if you if you compromise what you think is good in order to try and achieve a market share yeah. And it doesn't achieve a market share, then you've both made something you knew was crap, and it's been proven to be not popular. I'd much rather make something that I think is good and have it proven not popular. As as it happens, that wasn't no, that wasn't the story in this case, and we've always known that it has a future life. What's been really interesting is the hurdles to getting it back to London that include global pandemics and mm. uh, the loss of our friend who was the producer and. You know all sorts of machinations of the politics of the theaters and stuff, and it just took a long time. But right now, it feels like the times concertinated, and we're back. And who cares that it's been six years? It's it's back, and it's better than ever. <laughs> apparently, <laughs>
0: we'll see, you'll, you'll see, you'll see, you'll see tonight, Tim. Yeah. But, uh, but was it also important then, in terms of coming back, that Andy was was part of this? That you got Andy to to play full nah, concert? Now they're a dime a dozen those guys. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Um, well, you'll remember he gives an absolutely extraordinary performance, and um, so when he expressed an interest in coming back, I was delighted. That was a no-brainer, um, and he, you know, he can do uh, everything. It's a um, in 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 a way because it's a new musical. It's true to say that the show's been built on him which poses a bit of a problem going forward because <laughs> the number of people that can do everything that he can do, <clears throat> I mean the acting performance, the sense of comedy, the clowning, um, <clears throat> the sense of, of, of being able to perform a repellent character with charm, the choreography, the dancing, you know, the phys- all that physicality as well. Uh, he just throws himself at it and nails it on on every level. So um, in the future when you know he's done enough of the show and other people are playing Phil, he set a very high bar, um, but what a lovely guy as well, a great leader of a company, um, great fun to have around, so we're delighted to have him back.
3: It'll be very fun to cast Phil in the future. I mean, it will be hard because he is outstanding, but certainly Matthew and I have learnt through Matilda, when we first found those first four girls, we, I had nothing to do with it, and Matthew and the and the casting people found those first four girls, we thought, oh, my God, there's four miracles and what are we going to do but how many have there been now 130 or (laughs) i mean that's just in the productions we've been involved in i mean around the world you know that there are extraordinary people out there and when you know the matildas who are matilda now they were born after matilda opened on the west end Mm. and they grew up knowing with their two short parents and their and their beautiful voices that maybe one day they could be Matilda. So they actually, some of those kids have been aspiring to that role for as long as they can remember. And there's no doubt that this musical, I think, because of its complexity and it's, and that people who love theatre love this musical because it's so rich in all the stuff that we love, if we love theatre. I think there will be people out there right now thinking – I'm going to I'm going to get my chops up because when that goes on tour I'm going to audition, you know. So people will aspire to it. And I'm really looking forward to different interpretations.
0: Is that the plan that you're going to go on tour or maybe a residency in London somewhere other than the Old fic?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, experience tells you not to plan. So um I wouldn't say there's a plan. There's an opportunity for sure. Yeah. Uh, and it'll be dictated by the um uh, the popularity of the show uh, inevitably as things always are. But that would be a great um, version of what happens next. Um, an extended run in London, a tour, productions in other countries, and you certainly know, some very wine. keen
3: Australian producers
2: jumping right. at the bit. Yeah, I, I think that um, there are there are territories that are very eager to see the show, and we uh, we've now created a production where it's possible to bring it to them. So we'll see.
0: Amazing. And Danny, is your plan then, you know, you had a great time at Broadway. Is your plan to just travel the world with this production? It could be. I, I mean, just you and your mom for the next yeah. 30 years.
1: <laughs> she might need somebody helping her along. I wouldn't mind being that person. <laughs> well, why not? It's nice to have an excuse to travel and go different places and, yeah. and meet wonderful people. So. It could happen. Absolutely.
0: Uh, let's let's take you right back to the to the beginning, Danny. Uh, of of this musical. Yeah. You know, when did it first come to life for you? As as we did it start with you, or did it start with with Matthew and Tim? How did it all come That's about? true. It yeah. started
1: with all of all us of independently, and I'm glad we found each other. I had been hoping to make it into a musical and working on it for many years in the background. Uh, sort of half getting my my feet into you know musical stage theater which I'm familiar with but don't really know and trying to figure out whether I could actually be the writer or whether my being the writer would doom the project completely and I talked to enough people to decide yeah I could do this and uh, and then I met these fellows and they were very excited about it and I was um, so taken by Matilda I wanted to know more about. How, how they would do this. And, you know, I, I just love the honesty of the collaboration and um, the sincerity of their wanting to do great work and not just commercial work, which was always my goal as well.
0: And Tim and Matthew, from your point of view, when Danny first has a conversation about this with you, what's the light bulb moment for you both?
2: Um, well, Groundhog Day is a film that I really loved and <clears throat> used to watch um, from time to time when it was on television. Uh, it always used to make me laugh a lot, and invariably it used to make me cry. And it just came into my mind after we'd done Matilda that there was the kind of uh, mashup of cleverness and emotion that is it just. I just thought Tim—it's got Tim's signature all over it as a as a concept. It's got a kind of mathematical side to it. It's got a satirical side to it. It's got—it deals with big issues about life, and it's got a very very silly and um, absurdist and outrageous humor about it as well. And um, so I said to Tim, how about after Matilda, us looking at Groundhog Day? And I think pretty quickly you saw some of the same things that I saw. And uh, and I went pursuing the right situation. I didn't know anything about it. And it led me to um, Sony and Columbia and to Danny. And uh, I can't remember where we had our first meeting, or I, I can't remember the very first time we spoke.
1: Well, wow, it was memorable to me. <laughs> 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 I guess it was... I was just another blur of the parade of people going past you, Matthew. <laughs> but
2: um, I know we met in London. You came up to London to see Matilda, I think. Or we met in New York as well. I, I don't know. We-, we-, we had several meetings. And in the end, I said, look, you, you don't have to – decide right now I said to both um the studio and to Danny I said just let us start and let's see how it goes and uh, so we actually I don't know if you realize we we completed the musical the writing you guys before we, the had, writing the of it, before we had the rights uh, but we knew that nobody else was going to get the rights we'd been given that promise and um so it was a very um Upside down way of doing it, but the way we made it was uh, emblematic of, tr- of the the thing that made it work actually, which is trust and collaboration, and uh, a sense of artistic endeavor rather than business.
0: That is a heck of a leap. That's a heck of a leap.
2: Yeah,
3: I I still do a bit of that nonsense. I I think um, I I uh, you know get so complicated as you know with some success comes a lot of contracts and stuff and and the contracts get complicated and i still sometimes say and have very recently with that song i sent you the other day that it's a big job and they were like you know would you consider us commissioning you to write a song and i tend to say no i'll write you one and if you want it then you can pay me you know good mm-hmm. money for it but i'm not I'm not going to be contracted to write a song, and you come back with seven different very Like so, yeah. but, and I, the reason I do that is because I think, I think it it can just clarify the intention. I think it's it's the same as what we did with Groundhog Day. If you really care about something and believe in that you're the right person, then write it, and you know, don't spend all that time and money trying to do a contract that locks everyone in. Just write it, and then everyone will be happy, and then we'll do a contract then. I mean, it's stupid advice, but I do <laughs> <laughs> So where did you start with the music? Well, it's all about mapping. And so Danny and Matthew and Chris Nightingale, the music supervisor, who's the orchestrator and um, writer of a lot of the music, actually, in this show, um, and me, That everyone that was in the room, really, initially. Mm-hmm. And we just sat down and um, got hold of a... A shooting script, like the the last script that Danny was happy with, or at least the the script that Danny was happy for us to kind of work off as a source material, mm-hmm. um, which was quite a late shooting script, but certainly not the final. Not it didn't represent exactly the movie, um, because a movie, of course, is built in edit. So, and th- then it's about for me, it's about sticky notes with color coded sticky notes in rows, and um. Going, so this is these are the scenes. If you break this down into beats, these mm-hmm. are the beats of the story, and this is where there could be a song, and this is the sort of song it might. It could be a chorus number to open, and then we want to hear from Phil and you know, and whatever. That that's a really fun, really hard, complex, wonderful, long process, long before, you know, and maybe I'm popping home to go, okay what what sort of what would the tone be and you know having my stupid idea that it should be a sort of swing noir thing initially I don't know I don't know why I thought <laughs> that um but um but I I think um it was hard it was a very unusual challenge because of the structure of the show because the first thing you have to do is set up the premise that this guy is going to live the same day over and over again which it's, it's just hard much harder on stage than film and much harder in a musical than just on stage um and i could we could do a two-hour podcast about that um just talking about those challenges couldn't we but um it's all about mapping and we we got a long way down the path of this is what the musical will look like these are the songs these are the subjects they're going to be before any music gets written
0: before you even read a note,
3: yeah. Or did
0: I come in early with something? The thing that was, was, that was very early
2: oh. on. No, the thing was very early on. It was you, me, and Chris in a room, the piano, and you were talking about sunrise or something. And you played bum da da da. Oh, that was I forgot
3: that. That da, was at da, um, da, da. that was at old mate's place. That was at R- Ronnie Scott's. Yeah. We met at Ronnie Scott's yeah. and I was coming in. During the in- day, not in the not in no, no, the daytime because a friend of ours owns it. And I was walking in off the tube. I was living in England, wasn't I? And I and I thought, oh, I've got nothing. So I just went, oh, I guess I'll try and think of, I guess what I want is something that sounds infinite. So I just, in my head between the tube and in a five-minute period between the tube and Ronnie Scott's, Came up with you know, this sense of like if it can just go forever. Perpetual circle. And I went in and at some point halfway through the meeting I said to Chris, I just came up with this sort of thing and I think it's crap. And Chris went, that's great.
2: And that was that. Yeah, and it had a feeling of rising quality and it had a feeling of sunrise about it. It also had a very kind of American folk thing about it's it it's epic yeah. it can be yeah. Epic. yeah and um and so that uh this sort of uh, contrast that's uh, fundamental to the music in the show and to the show between the folksiness um of the community the cuteness. story cuteness mm. and the uh authenticity if you like of that um contrasting the edgy angular sometimes slightly dissonant jazz infused urban sound for Phil yeah that all led from you know to this um, uh opposition between small town and and him having a big ego yeah um and but also of- it's so yeah. built
3: on the sort of central genius of danny's idea which is that it's a a model for something epic I mean that the the idea that you know life starts with the dawn and ends with the night and that you know, humans have to find a way to be in themselves, and all these huge ideas—these, you know, depending on who you talk to, Buddhist ideas—but it could be ancient Greek or whatever, juxtaposed against this little town and these stupid little, like it's so silly, and about a groundhog and like, and, and so that I, I wanted the music to do that, and certainly Chris's capacity with his orchestrations—you, know, the whole musical starts with this incredibly complex jazzy thing to which is sort of a uh uh you know a little symbol of the chaos of life and and of the complexity we're going to get to but it lands on this and it's huge because it's saying in this small theater we're going to tell we're going to do something we're going to talk about life and death and big you know big big themes and then across the stage goes this little van you know <laughs> and so from the very beginning we're saying we get this as a joke, and also it's going to talk about the only things that matter in the whole yeah. universe. Yeah, you know? yeah.
0: And then imbuing each each uh, reprise of that, I guess, with a with a different a different feeling by the end, and seeing you and it, when the, when that song finishes, mm-hmm. there's a there's a beautiful feeling of warmth of closure yeah. to it at the end. Yeah, and
3: of course, that theme is just absolutely riddled throughout the whole thing. Yeah. Hope, hope is built on it. Even if I have my time again is the mm. major version of it, and if anything, <laughs> I've lent on it a lot.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I think it, was, it was works. What he's saying is he really only wrote one okay, song. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, it turns out, yeah,
2: those people were right. It's is yeah, one it's song. song.
0: And <laughs> uh, Danny, from your point of view. Tackling this story again, I mean, obviously the 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 screenplay for Groundhog Day underwent a, a number of iterations as well. And if anyone listened to this, hasn't read Danny's book about writing Groundhog Day, it is you should pick it up immediately. It's it's fantastic, well, thank uh, you, and a, a wonderful guide to the screenwriting. But but tackling this again, again,
1: it it wasn't a matter of tackling. I was so looking forward to it. It it felt like the the movie which I love, of course, and uh, and I had a, a wonderful time with the the writer in hollywood takes it so far and then the director goes okay we got this and they take it and they've got their production to deal with and and the making of the movie is the writing of it in a way and so i just you know was 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 a bystander for the 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 final you know final lap and this gave me a chance not only after 20 years or whatever of thinking about it and having people tell me What they thought about it um, and watching it grow through the culture. Um, I wanted to revisit all of the themes and be one of the finishers, be part of the team that is actually seeing it to the end, which was just such a pleasure for me. It it felt like the completion of something that I had started long ago.
2: Also, you know, thinking about, you, you said how you've been thinking about making a musical. Of it before we turned up, and other people had come to you and and I remember you had quite a lot of material that would um be fed into the conversation that wasn't related to the screenplay either um I mean several bits are very much in the production, one of them is this um uh idea you had about a guy wandering around Punxsutawney dressed as a groundhog and um and that and there being something sort of mysterious and supernatural and kind of i don't know um. Fabled about that. It's also and whimsical and it's whimsical, so, so beautifully yes. whimsical as and, well. And uh, that's definitely in the show, and um, and and kind of culminates in a in a great great fun sequence in the second half. And there are so there was there was more. I feel like with Danny we had a a kind of a spring, a fount of information and of understanding and a, a depth of understanding of the characters, which was so brilliant. We could Tim and I could say to Danny, so. We want to say more about Rita, all of us, you know, wanted to mm. unpack Rita's character a bit more, which is obviously when characters sing, you get to know them much more intimately potentially, um, or you get to hear more from them anyway. And so we, we were talking about Rita's character and um, digging a bit deeper into that. And of course, Danny, conversations with Danny kind of owns these characters or represents them in so many ways. And the story. When we would wonder if the, if we could bend the story slightly more to the left or slightly more to the right or go down this little alleyway, and I remember somebody saying, "Yeah, there was something like that actually yeah, in the original he, draft." Like <laughs> said,
3: can you bring a, a screenplay? And he brought a screenplay and like some suitcases <laughs> <Yes>. of notes of, <laughs> of, of sort of expansive ideas down any alleyway. There was always more stuff, and sometimes there were there were bits drafts came through of this that had he said oh i had this idea and the scene would be like there was one scene that was like phil is floating in <laughs> in space or something <laughs> and i'm like what
2: it was so
3: <laughs> fun <laughs> it was so good and it was joyous i came in
1: with a lot you came <laughs> in with a lot this
2: great and sort of um like fractals or something where you you, closer yeah. you look the more there is yeah, totally. and um but yeah, there was a thing, wasn't there, in the original idea of the story that Rita was also living uh, in a loop and uh, then they woke up together on the last day, on the February on the 3rd, the they were both waking up from their own um, time loops and uh, it was fascinating hearing all of these extra little details and stuff. And they provoked, um, you know, a huge amount of the tone or the, uh, the detailed sensibility of of what makes the stage musical different from the film. You know, these conversations informed all of that.
0: And giving Rita more to do and giving her more agency, that was very important to you.
1: Oh, absolutely. And, and that was taking advantage of the opportunity that we're doing it again, because the movie, I thought, did draw her as a kind of a contemporary working woman um, at a time where it was, it was uh, I thought, important to have that character. But um, in order to make the movie, Harold Ramis was envisioning a fairy tale, and was envisioning her as kind of the fairy tale princess. And uh, though we we know we wanted to to do something with a, a little bit more substance, and I think it was Tim who kind of figured out how to turn it on its ear and say, "Okay, how does uh, Rita think about?" the fairy tale and her relationship to that fairy tale so it was really twisting the movie and doubling down on her character
3: yeah and we did we i think we always wanted to have our cake and eat it too and i i think one always can i hope i I really believe in stories can do that so you can and often they fail to but you can have a very complex character who is both one thing and the other and then in our case you can even have a silver slipper, as long as it's a white snow boot that's been given to her because her toes are numb, yes. not, not as some sign of ownership or wealth, you know. So you can you can you can always play with these things and and twist them into saying something new without um discarding the lovely structure of a love story, you know. You don't you don't have to throw out the romance of two people inexorably drawn towards each other. Um, to deconstruct it, you can do both,
1: and it wasn't just Rita being given agency. We we managed to give everybody a story, yeah. Yeah. And uh, by doing that, kind of instructing the audience, oh, the first act, you you were Phil, you were also seeing two dimensions as only as Phil's story, and everybody else was related to his story. And we say, oh, just as Phil. Learns that the, there are other people in the world with lives that he has some effect on, um, that can also affect him. The audience gets to learn that lesson as well.
0: Absolutely is is that part of the uh, is that partially why you start the musical with the the townsfolk singing to to, is, to broaden yeah. that out.
2: Yeah, it, um, it's um, <clears throat> that authentic uh, kind of <clears throat> folksy anthem that they sing about tomorrow there will be sun at the beginning is to uh plant a degree of um truth and uh which will become part of phil's destiny really there and also magic you know those the elders that are singing the uh the, they're called elders these um the, the the people who lead the ceremony at gobbler's knob and because of the uh, antique nature of the ceremony they're dressed in victorian clothing and top hats and coats and So you you have a strange moment at the beginning where you don't know where you are in time or place or whether you're in some magical and mysterious uh, context as these people gather to greet the dawn. But uh, in fact, it's preceded. It's not exactly how the show starts because it's preceded by a front cloth moment of about 30 TV screens that are all carrying Mm. Phil's image. And of course, what that's about is uh, how splitting a person into many, many different versions of themselves. So the image, the the audience gets it uh, initially when they come in. is about a repeated version of Phil um, everywhere, and then they hear this beautifully sung and harmonised um, community song. Really, before we spin off and make it all from Phil's point of view for for a while.
0: Yeah. It's interesting because uh, obviously I've seen the musical just once when I when it first came out, uh, but I've listened to the soundtrack incessantly. And of course, it starts with with you know, the overture, but it starts with that song uh, as well. So in my head, that's, that's, how, uh, yeah. that's how I remembered it from yeah. the beginning. But uh, yeah.
3: when are you coming again?
0: Um, I think next week. Next week. I'm, I'm hoping to come along. Uh, I'm very, I'm very excited. Mm-hmm. <laughs> very excited, uh, and this time I don't think I'm going to be in the god seats. It was very, yeah. very high up last time. <laughs> right. well, I yeah, there I on Saturday it was great. Out there, <laughs> yeah,
2: right. good.
0: Um, I want to ask uh, just—I'll uh, go let you guys go in a, few, in a few minutes, but I want to ask about a, a couple of the, the the songs in particular. Uh, speaking of Rita, "One Day" is an amazing, amazing song, and, and and really gives us insight into her. Tim, from your point of view, was that was that a tough nut to crack? That song?
3: I don't really remember. <clears throat> I. I don't know how hard writing songs is. I think um, it, you, it's a, it's about getting the right idea. And so there's so many things we had to do with that song because it was like a lot of the songs in this musical, the reason I, I'm so glad you listened to the album, but I find the album hard to listen to because it sort of doesn't make sense. You keep It keeps cutting past scenes yeah. and the songs are designed to be a framework that can, um, support scenes within it. Um, and especially one day, which of course has the repeated attempts, just horrible, lecherous attempts by Phil to sort of conquer Rita, which is when he's at his absolute worst and is what drives him towards crisis. Um, uh, and so I, I knew I wanted to, play with the ideas of fairy tale tropes this aspirational one day you know and the aspiration for me is always an octave jump because the greatest aspirational song in musical theater ever written is somewhere over <laughs> so i had one day someday and so i just wanted to have that octave and i wanted to play with fairy tale tropes so we could cuz there's so much meta stuff in this musical so we could have the audience thinking about how we how much we as a culture are sort of defined by by sort of storified versions of lives, of of narrative um, completeness and simplicity. And so it's doing all this, trying to do all this stuff. Mostly it's about getting her from being really annoyed at him going, I know you want donuts, and by which he means I know you want me, and spending endless days trying to conquer her with this song that tells us all about Rita and her complex nature of both wanting the love story and not wanting to want the love story and sort of not wanting the love story. And then it has to drive towards an end where suddenly we open up the town and all their wants and how their wants are also complicated and how everyone's aspiring always to what they're going to do tomorrow. But actually there is only one day in Phil's world. And that, of course, poses this huge philosophical question about how do you genuinely live each day present and not aspiring and not regretting just being present, which is where we get him to eventually. So
2: there's
0: a lot, <laughs> there's <laughs> there's a lot, lot going on. All, you know, I, on a whole podcast.
2: And, and interestingly, I, I remember a conversation when we were talking about, you know, sometimes um, it's, I think, maybe unhelpful, but sometimes it's helpful to imagine when you're looking at a story what – some of the songs might be called or what be about. And I remember saying, you know, it would be great if there was a song that's called One Day in this, because obviously it means two things. things," And and what I was going to mean, Tim immediately grabbed the opportunity there for it to mean multiple things and to bring lots of different strands of the story together. And it's 17 minutes. That's the other thing. It's it a really? it's a 17 minute song. That starts with uh, I was brought up in Taffet addresses, and ends up with the um, uh, Phil There's smashing must- smashing the alarm clock and saying Somebody make it stop, uh, and covers so much ground in that's the end of Act One. Mm. So much co- covers so much ground minutes thematically in that 17 minutes.
3: Yeah, I'm very um, you know necessity being the mother of invention. It it. I mean, Miracle is also, uh, at the beginning of Matilda, is a very unconventional start. It it spans a bunch of scenes and goes for 12 minutes or something, doesn't it, in the stage musical. Originally it was longer than that. It was about
2: nine, 19 or oh God, something was, like that. Because, <laughs> it, because, it,
3: because <laughs> it sounds like that. But that, of course, is not the length of the song. It's the length of the period of the show that that song bridges. And One Day um, has very, it's very, Um, sort of modular has whole different bits of course it gets to joelle you know there was a day with a girl um and and it just keeps coming back in on itself and i actually i don't know because i don't really know enough about musical theater canon how common it is to use the form like this but i'm not sure it is very common i feel like it might be something we've Slightly yeah. invented. Well, they're
2: called I call them umbrella songs because because they 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 arch over a multitude of scenes, mm. you know, and events, and incorporate them in it, and somehow songs the song. Often fits. reprise it. Yeah, songs
3: often function as here's the song. Yeah. We're going to do a whole lot of stuff, and then we're going to reprise it, and, yeah. and in that way, it's sort of an
2: umbrella. But. That's not what we're doing. No, we're doing something so a little bit more yeah. Which, oh, obnoxious. At the beginning of the show as well, Small Town is the yeah. same thing. I haven't timed that one, but that's got to be, in in a way, Small Town covers for days one, two, and three. Yeah, more totally. Up. So, you know, I gets another very extended. But it's
3: got lots thing. of bits in it. Yeah. Mm. It, I do think it's because of how difficult the task was. It did require a little bit of um, bespoke engineering of the form, which I I love about it too. I mean, you know, it doesn't – whatever else you can say about it, it feels good to have made something genuinely its own thing. I always – that is the most valuable thing for me to go, oh, well, it's – It's ours. Whatever you say about it, it's ours. Very, very
0: ours. Uh, Where did the Ghostbusters 2 reference come from in that (laughs) song? me being cheeky. (laughs) (laughs) Which begs the question that Ghostbusters 2 exists in that world who stars in that <laughs> movie's first, in that world's version of Groundhog Day? I think Andy
1: Curl. <laughs> <Yeah>. um,
2: <laughs>
3: Danny Rubin plays but, John Malkovich in. <laughs>
2: but that's just another facet of the Nan- Nancy stepping forward and saying, singing a song called "Playing Nancy" yeah. within this story, which the um, you know there was this opportunity to reflect on how being in a show and doing the same thing night after night after night. And playing the role that you're cast in and not being able to change that role um, became part of the experience for an opportunity, you know, for, for a live version of Groundhog Day that doesn't exist on the film.
0: I've got to ask about seeing you. Um, which may be my favourite song from from the musical. Uh, and Tim, I, I know you performed that. Was it at the Olivier's a few years ago? I think
3: when I first the first public outing was at the Evening Standard Awards. Evening
0: Standard Awards, yeah. that's it. Yeah, it's on YouTube. Yes. Uh, again, if you're listening to this, go and check it out. It's 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 incredible. There's also some versions of uh, of Andy uh, mm. singing it from, from from the Broadway version, uh, which is terrific. But Again, that that song from from the point of view of all three of you, how how important was it? I mean, obviously, it's the it's the the final song of the of the musical, but nailing it was it was it tricky, Tim. You, it doesn't seem to be too difficult in well, terms of the genesis sort of, of these slight, songs,
3: slightly traumatic but fine. I mean, it's just so much fun trying to solve these problems, and and I think I remember the fun of the solution more than I remember the pain of trying to find it. Um,
1: I, I remember coming in knowing that I wanted to aim for the ending to be sublime, for it not to be like a big showpiece ending, but for it to be something uh, a little bit, bit more folksy and warm and maybe bittersweet even. And he found the tone, he found it perfectly, and almost like a, a country-western song.
3: Yeah, well, I, we, I did like this idea, layers upon layers of ambition, that that part of what we're doing in the audience is we, I didn't want it to be pastiche and I hope it's not but I did want to say we're going to not only represent the stages of life through these repeated days but we, we're going to represent them a bit with the sort the the music will reflect in a slightly trophy way so when he's um you know, being exploitative and just going for sex and drugs, it's, it's very sort of 70s porn. And when <laughs> yes. when the idea that these two drunken kind of hicks uh, and he together come up with this sort of, oh, my God, nothing matters, this nihil- song about nihilism, nobody cares, the uh, idea of being completely disempowered in the case of Gus and Ralph or having no, literally no tomorrow in the case of Phil the idea that this should be super fast bluegrass. Um, And so, and then, and then the kind of emo rock, slightly Lincoln Parky period of his life where he wants to suicide, which is, you know, it's very dark humor Mm -hmm. to anyway, but to add on top of that, this sort of very dark humor of, of that style of music, slightly laughing at it whilst hopefully again, having his cake and eat it too. Mm. Anyway, in that mode of thinking about what styles could reflect those different phases of life. I, I just felt like a sort of rootsy, rootsy folk is this thing that, you know, I hated in the nineties, but I grew towards the the simplicity and peace of, of rootsy, almost country. It is country really. Yeah. And, uh, you know, brought up in, in grunge era nineties, I just, you know, I had to grow towards it and to the peace of that. And I just, Thought so that sounds about right.
2: You know, ending with a ballad, as Danny said, is an unusual thing to do. Mm. Um, you would end normally end with a very big song, and usually involving quite a lot of people at um, the end of musical like that. And so this is slightly upside down. And I remember when we were writing, uh, when we were developing um, Matilda, and with um, Tim and Dennis Kelly, and and I would often say we would often say what we want to do is create something. That isn't, doesn't drive down the middle of the road, but doesn't fall off the road. And you try to f- find a place where you can stretch convention and contradict convention without losing an audience. And when I watch the film of Groundhog Day, I see a kind of radical piece of art, actually, and wisdom dressed in wonderful populism. And that contradiction really, really appeals to me. And I think it's one of the things we, we've tried to do with this is to is to certainly we have got a show here that is not what you expect if you've just seen and kind of liked the film of Groundhog Day. Um, you, it's much uh, richer and it is entertaining. And we've tried to make it populist as well because I believe that you know um, connecting with as many people as possible when you've got something rich is is the right thing to do. So we, we it is a, a very much a Trojan horse type of. Show, um, You you think it's one thing, you get something. Hopefully, much, much, much more. Um, the question is, you know, when people don't expect something, will they turn up for it? Yeah. <laughs> if it's well, not what they expected, mm-hmm. um, because, but certainly when people go away from the show, um, we've got away with so many things. We've got away with a 17-minute end of act well We've got we've got away with ending the show on a bittersweet, very gentle ballad, and all of these things are kind of rule breaking. Uh, while still being in this sort of package of delight and entertainment and populism as well,
0: and there's even a sequence where Phil commits suicide over and over again on stage, right? Which I thought was incredibly bold when I saw right. it for the first time.
2: Uh, it is, you know, and and that it, you know, it's it's in that particular case, it's definitely Tim saying, crazy uh, sort of creating a sharp edge. Um, to something but I think the thing not to speak for you Tim but you know the thing that you've worked out over the years is how far you can take something without losing the audience right
3: yeah hopefully and, and if you yeah certainly in my career I always think if you're not losing anyone then you're probably letting down most you know if if if, if someone's not offended then everyone else might be feeling a bit beige you know so and and if you want as we do to send people out of the theater feeling like they've just had the most amazing meal you know like that that they've that they've laughed and cried and thought and been a bit shocked and but you send them out with a big full heart that feeling when you walk out of a theater and you've seen something beautiful that makes you just go why do i Think about all this stupid stuff. I just need to love everyone more and be a kind of person. I mean, that's what art's for—to remind you mm. of your humanity. And and I think people—that's all I want them to do. Uh, I think they do with Matilda, and I really, I know they do with Groundhog Day. They walk out really full-hearted, and if you don't push anywhere during the journey, that you 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 only get that if you ask something of them. On the way; mm. otherwise, it's just Disney. It's just mm. treacle. You you got to push and pull them and make them feel different things to land them in a place of of big warm heartedness. I think.
2: I think that's the other thing about this easy to forget about theatre. Theatre at its best is a very celebratory form, and it's full of you know joy, capacity to create joy and shared joy more than cinema actually, and um, <clears throat> which is obviously capable of doing joy, but it's ultimately more individualistic and viristic in the way that it's viewed. And that song that we're talking about, Hope, where you point out that there were m- multiple suicides, Phil trying to kill himself day after day to end it all and failing. Um, so the audience during that number are laughing and applauding. What are they laughing and applauding? Because Well, at the same time as this song's being sung, visually... There's this series of magic illusions where Phil is recently re- oh, killing himself in one part yeah. of the stage, reappearing alive in another part of the stage over again, which is essentially just a celebration of what theatre can do in the celebration of the form All the of- while deconstructing the fallacy of hope.
3: <laughs> because the song is actually about never giving up hope yeah. that he'll successfully die. Yeah. Yeah. So it's completely brutal. <laughs> Is, but
0: you know, it's the stuff of life, man. It's the stuff of life. Uh, real quick, you know, obviously, you guys have just come off of Matilda the the movie. Is there a movie version of this? Oh my god, that, that would could be work better. one day. I mean, I, that would be. <laughs> has that been done? The producers, the, the producers did it, I guess.
2: Yes, there All are right. some shows um, that have made it. Hairspray another one. Hairspray another one. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, that would be a journey, wouldn't it? No comment at this stage <laughs> um I will say though, one day at a time you know it was a big it was a um big undertaking doing the film of Matilda, and not lo- least logistically and everything like that, but also because we were carrying something very precious that we cared about and loved that was working very well in one form and carrying it into another form, trying not to lose um its virtues and its um uh, the precious things about it, whilst having to change and replace it in order to fit a new form and stuff. So it was quite an interesting um, uh, endeavor, and um, and I think that if you're thinking about bringing the musical Groundhog Day into a film, would we go through the same thing? The three of us would be first of all gripped with fear, <laughs> kind of like, well, we don't want to ruin anything, we don't want to mess with anything. It's 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 there's something really working about the stage version. Of, also, of the Degade Groundhog Day, Day
3: film is very, very good. With with Matilda, although there was an old version of the story of Matilda on film, it didn't feel like something, you know, it was American. It was a very different thing. Um, and we were going to do a very British, very musical version of it, whereas Groundhog Day, the movie, the musical of the movie feels some um, uh, this feels like a fantastic idea actually <laughs> now that I say was... Danny,
0: are you up for another, another crack
1: I'm not busy <laughs>
0: <laughs> obviously you're going on tour with the various yeah, tours yeah, yeah. But I think you could have another go at it yeah.
1: from your mouth <laughs> <laughs> and then
0: after that there would have to be a musical adaptation oh, of the movie, the the movie and then
3: or a video game, a video because game. <laughs> it is actually a video game. You you get the same scenario. And you have to try and master it.
0: Danny, I want to finish with you because obviously you created Groundhog Day. You came up with the concept. It still astonishes me that this was effectively the first time loop movie, the first time loop anything. Where did that idea first come to you? And it must amaze you where you've ended up.
1: Oh. Uh... No, I always assumed I'd end up somewhere like this. In the old thing When the movie got when the movie got got bought and green lit and everything, I, my feeling was, oh, finally, um, <laughs> at last. Um, <clears throat> well, the the idea of a guy repeating the same day was part of a brainstorm session and one of a lot of ideas I came up with. Um, but it was later when I was. Uh, Trying to come up with another movie idea, just sort of brainstorming again a couple of years later, um, I was thinking about eternity and whether some people um, who don't ever tend to grow up, maybe they just haven't had enough time. And I started imagining uh, an extra life for them and an, uh, an eternity and seeing what that would look like and realizing immediately that was a very cumbersome movie. Um, I remembered the idea of one guy repeating the same day and realized you could have eternity all on the same day. And that's when it became a movie in my head.
0: Speaking of eternity, it's time for lunch. So (laughs) I'm going to let you guys go. It's been an absolute pleasure. Danny, Tim, Matthew, thanks so much for your time. Thank 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 you. And that was Danny Rubin, Tim Minchin and Matthew Warchus. Thanks to Armani from the Oldfic press office for making that happen. And thanks to the guys for being so generous with their time. If you haven't seen Groundhog Day, the musical, or you wish to revisit, tickets are on sale at oldfictheatre.com. It plays all the way up to the middle of August. And if you want to listen to the songs, the soundtrack is available, of course. And hey, if you don't wish to see the play or you can't, well, can I recommend a film for you to see instead? It- Oh, the name escapes me right now. Don't worry, I'll remember it next time. Anyway, that's it for me. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time. Bye-bye.